Good morning, Calvary Church family. I hope that uh, you enjoyed that worship and it was uplifting to you. Uh, we're going to start our message now. And I know that you have had days, because I have had days, where we ask those eternal puzzling questions of, why is this happening to me? Or, why me? Why now? Or maybe the puzzling question of, I already have too much going on, I can't handle more. Or what about this? is totally unfair. And of course, in absolute desperation, you throw up your hands and say, can I for once get a break? We have all had moments, and maybe days, and maybe weeks, where we have felt those pressing questions and thoughts overwhelm us. And we throw up our hands in frustration, maybe we pump a fist in frustration, and we say to the world, as if the world was listening, why? And sometimes we direct that towards God in that desperate prayer, but it's not really a prayer, it's just kind of a complaint. Why? Why me? Why now? Those kind of questions at heart kind of focus on three things. They focus, first of all, acknowledging that there is pain. Those questions and those thoughts, those comments, that frustration, that aggravation is there because we really are feeling something uncomfortable. When the car breaks and the hot water heater goes out and the window's broken and the trash can is mysteriously gone from your driveway and you hit every red light on the way to work and you got a flat tire, those are all real frustrating things. So those questions when we say, why me, why now, why all this? It's in response to real lemons that we've been getting through the day. And we need to acknowledge that it's real frustration. It's real inconvenience. It really is something that is uncomfortable. So we can admit that about those kind of questions and that kind of attitude. The second thing is there is this really subtle, underlying attitude of complaining and accusing God. Because we do, in a sense, try to direct that frustration to God and blame Him for it. Why me? Why now? Why all of this going on? Why this? Why this? Why this? And in a sense, we're kind of throwing accusations to God like, why did you let this happen? Why are you allowing me to feel this? Why are you giving this to me? Why do I have to deal with it? And it is a very subtle way of shifting blame to God. So those questions at the heart of it acknowledge pain, but they also kind of accuse God that you're doing something unfair here in my life. And the third thing that those kind of questions teach us is that our focus is all on ourselves. It's all about me. I'm looking at my pain. I'm looking at my inconvenience. I'm looking at my frustration. I'm looking at my situation, my difficulties, and I'm complaining to God about what's happening with me. 
The whole focus is on me, 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 me. And it's almost as if we are throwing a temper tantrum towards God about how my life may suck at the moment. And so when we take an honest look at those types of questions, that type of attitude, those type of statements, we realize it's probably not the right, healthy, biblical Christian thing to feel and say at the time. So how do we get out of that cycle and change that mentality of being a victim and blaming others for whatever lemon might be in our lives at the moment? How can we get out of that rut? How can we change that attitude? How can we change the questions that we ask when we're involved in these kind of hurts and sorrows and lemon moments in our lives? Well, I think, first of all, we can ask different questions when we're involved in it. None of the questions deny that we're going through something painful and hard, but we can refocus those questions into bigger, better, more uplifting moments. One of the things we can ask is because we're already blaming God for what's going on in our lives, we can address God in a prayer and say, God, how do you want me to act and respond in this situation? So instead of complaining about the situation, instead of being frustrated with the situation, we can simply turn back to God and say, God, I don't know exactly what your role is in this. I don't know exactly what my role is in this, but how should I behave? Now the focus is still on me. I, how am I supposed to behave in this? But it's a much better question than just accusing God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? It's asking for a change in our character and our response on how to address the problem. The second thing we can ask is that age-old question, what do you have for me to learn here? What can I learn? And of course, the pat answer is always going to be what? Everybody say it at once. Patience. Patience. So we always know that God wants us to learn patience because we are by nature a very impatient people. So if you have no idea why you're going through these lemon moments, you can always go to the default and say, God, you're working on patience in my life. All right, I got it. I'll take a breath, I'll refocus, and I will begin to be patient. And you might have to say that to yourself a hundred times that minute, but you always know God's working on patience. He's always working on our character. He's always working on a way of making us more like Jesus. So you always know that every life situation, the good and the dark stuff, focuses on my character. What do I have to learn from this, and what do I have to put into practice? And then lastly, I think we can ask the question, and we're going to see this in a lot of the scripture today that we're looking at, is how do I help others? And I think we all have a mature understanding, especially as we look back on life and we've had a lot of life experiences, we look back on those experiences and realize it was horrible going through it, I didn't respond the right way when we went through it, and I made a lot of missteps and mistakes when I went through it. 
But there might be a day and time, and this may have happened multiple times for you, where someone else is going through exactly the same thing and you're able to say, hey, I'm not going to be here to preach at you, but I want to let you know that I've gone through the same thing and I learned it's difficult, I learned it's painful, but I also learned that as I turned my focus off of me and my pain and onto God, things changed in my life. It didn't solve the problem. The problem was still there. The pain was still there. But I didn't focus on it, and I wasn't blaming people for it. I simply walked through it. And this is how I did it. And I think that's one of the beautiful things of wisdom. Is wisdom is learning from the experience of others and not having to go through it yourself. Sometimes we know that we can be so thick-headed that we can have all the advice and wisdom in the world about how to deal with this, and we want to chart our own path, and we have to learn it ourselves. But that's not wisdom. The school of hard knocks, that's arrogance. That's being unteachable. And so we can use those experiences of how did we take this lemon moment and turn it into lemonade we can use those moments to help others. We're going to look, first of all, at 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 1 and 2, and then a couple other verses in that chapter. But 1 Peter, verse 1 and 2, sets the stage of how to respond to the suffering in our lives. And, of course, it uses Christ as our example. Verse 1 of chapter 4 of 1 Peter. I'll give you a second to turn there. Peter says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, we're talking about the cross, everything that he endured with the cross, everything that he endured while he was human walking this earth, the pain, the suffering, the denial, uh, the ridicule, the torture, and his death. Since Christ suffered in his body, here's our response. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Okay, what was Jesus' attitude when he was suffering? Did you ever see him in Scripture raise his fist to God and say, why me? Why now? Did you ever see him raise his fist and shout, this is unfair? Did you ever see him become bitter and vindictive? No. What was his attitude? We're told in Isaiah 53 that he was like a lamb led to slaughter. Didn't say a word. It isn't that he denied it and was stoic and had no feelings. He just did not let that difficulty, eventually his death, lead him to bitterness and accusing God of being unfair and thinking that the world is against him. So Peter says, have that same attitude. Because whoever suffers in this body is done with sin. Peter acknowledges that this whole process reminds us that Christ has gained victory over sin for us. That if we're united to Christ in His suffering, we're also united in His death and His resurrection and His glory. And so if you're suffering in this, realize you're attached to Christ in His suffering, but you're also attached to Him in His victory over sin, in His victory over suffering, in His victory over even death itself. We will experience that one day. We will experience the joy of never feeling pain. 
never feeling doubt, never feeling sorrow, never feeling hurt, never feeling the sour moments of our life, never having a reason again in our mind to shout how unfair this is. Never. And that's in Christ. He continues in verse 2 and says, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So all of those who are united in Christ now have a completely different thing to live for. We no longer live as the world lives. We no longer live under that judgment, under that scrutiny, under that shadow of darkness and pain. We live differently now. We live alive in Christ We live with hope of a future and hope for today. We live knowing that there is a Father in heaven that when we turn to Him in prayer, He hears us and answers us and is always willing to sit and walk and talk with us. Every day at every moment, no matter when and where you are, God is our help, our refuge, and our shield. That's our promise. And so we walk in that. We live in that. That is our reality. And we now pursue not our own passions, not the ways of the world, but we follow the will of God. And I know that that is a really big question. How can I figure out God's will for my life? That's a big question. I mean, people are asking that all the time. I think of that myself. What is God's will? There's nothing wrong in the question. But don't get stumped on the question. Don't get hung up on it thinking that you need some kind of vision or dream for God to speak to you and say, thou shalt do this now with your life. God gives us plain, understandable answers in His Word when suffering comes in, how to respond to it. And then partly, He responds to it uh, starting in verse 7. Of the very same chapter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, it says, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. Okay, so the first thing is we understand that all of this is coming to an end. Sooner or later, it's all going to come to an end. This is not all of our existence, and this is not going to go on like this forever and ever and ever. The end is near, and that we should rejoice over. Then being the coming of Christ and the fulfillment of every unfulfilled prophecy yet to come to pass, including the shedding of the sinful flesh and the dawning of His absolute perfect righteousness forever and ever and ever and ever. That's our promise. It's going to end. This won't continue. The pain will not always be there. The memories of disappointment and hurt will not always be there. There will be an end to it. At this point, if the church was full, I would say, can I hear an amen? Two voices. Awesome. That's it. I'll take it. I'll take it. So, prayer is one. Knowing it's coming to an end and prayer. And number eight, above all, Above all, so after you take everything else in consideration, remember this. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. 
there is enough in that verse for another week's worth of sermons. But the point that Peter is making is love is so fundamental to the Christian. It's so fundamental to our interactions with each other that even in a moment of great suffering, love is to conquer. Love is to take charge. Love is to be my motivator. Love is to be on my mind and in my actions. Love conquers it. Especially the moments where we hurt each other where we sin against each other, where we're angry with each other, where we disappoint one another, where we frustrate one another, where we feel we offend one another, it's love that enters in. Love enters in and covers and forgives a multitude of sins. Imagine how many times you've been in a situation where you've shouted out to God, why me? Why is this happening? And it's because of someone else. How someone else treated you or didn't treat you. How you got offended or they didn't do something right on you according to the way you want it done. And so you get upset at it, and you shout out to God, why? Imagine in every one of those times where you have been hurt and disappointed by someone, if the first thought to your mind was, how do I love them? Not, how do I get even? But how do I love them? And I think I remember Jesus saying something about loving your enemies. I wonder if he meant something like this, that when my enemy hurts me, instead of trying to take them out and hurt them in return and gossip about them and lie about them and backstab them, maybe instead I find out how to love them. That might be a great way of dealing with life's hurts. How do I love them? He says in verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's Peter's way of saying, be considerate of one another. Be considerate of one another. Let people feel welcomed around you. It's not necessarily just talking about opening your house up to people, which is a great thing to do. It's not only saying hi to someone, giving them a high five, or now I guess we're supposed to fist pump or kind of wave from the side, six feet away. Whatever that might be in our socially accepted social distancing network, we are to make people feel welcomed and appreciated when they're in our presence. He goes on to say, this is another part of God's will if you're trying to figure out how do I respond in this moment of suffering. Here's another one, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in, in its various forms. All Peter is saying is it doesn't matter what your gift and talent is. Use it. Use it for others. Use it for the good of others. Take whatever God has given you and serve. No matter what the form. Peter isn't worried about, oh, you can only be a singer, only you can be an artist, only you can be a speaker, only you can cut grass, only you can work in the nursery. No, no, it doesn't matter what gift you have. Whatever giftedness you have, use it. Don't hide it. Don't think that you need to keep it safe for just special occasions. Overwhelm people with serving them. See, I think that's one of the true signs of loving others, is that you're willing to give of yourself 
your time, your resources, your money to help others. So you want to know what God's will is when you're going through a real difficult suffering moment? A key to getting the focus off of yourself and, oh, woe is me, is to help others, to serve others. Go help feed the homeless with Everybody Counts Ministry. Go down to the rescue mission, which is starting to open up again. Serve. Serve. I know that that is God's will for you. Serve others. He continues and says in verse 11, If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To Him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Peter kind of gets to a point as he's starting to think about loving others, serving others, praying, knowing that this is going to end, it's not going to continue forever and ever and ever, using what we have. He starts to get to this point where he almost breaks out in song, where he breaks out in joy. You can almost see his excitement building verse to verse. Verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Encouragement. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter gets excited when he thinks of the opportunities that you and I have to do God's will to look at the pain and suffering, to acknowledge it, but not to let it rule the day, not to let it gain residence in our heart and mind to where it dictates how we see others, how we see the future, how we view the past. Oh, so many of us are controlled by the past. What happened to us when we were kids what happened to us in a relationship, what happened to us in our society, or what didn't happen, what could have been, what dreams were unfulfilled. And we let that just tear apart our moment prayers, our moment loving, our moment speaking encouragement, our moment serving. And we become hollow and bitter and unusable in God's kingdom because we let the past dictate how we feel today. God wants you free from that. God wants you free from those past hurts. God knows that you can't forget it. God knows that you have feelings attached to it. He's not asking you to deny reality. What He's asking you, my friend, is to don't let that past reality dictate who you are today and how you treat others. And I know it's a tall order that God is giving it. It is, it is super hard. It's super easy to tell other people to do it, but it is super hard to do it in yourself. And that's why he says you need to rely on the strength in Christ. You can't do it. 
The best motivational speeches will get you excited for 30 seconds and then later on, you're back to your old self. Jesus came not to give you relief from your old self, but to crucify it, to destroy it, to give you eternal victory over it. So you might have some incredibly painful lemon moments in your life. I acknowledge that. But I also know that if you're one of his children, he has done nothing but give you blessing upon blessing to get you out of that hole. And you don't have to climb out of it. He simply got rid of the hole that you're in. And I don't care if you have been in that mindset of pain and suffering and feeling woe is me and how unfair so-and-so treated me. I don't care if that's been going on for 50 years in your life. I don't care if you've lived with that for 50 years. It doesn't matter. Today is the day to stop that cycle and say no more will I live as a victim blaming others. Now that doesn't mean that you forget it doesn't mean that it really didn't hurt. What it means is you don't allow it to dictate your life. Now, I've said that four different times. Let me use four fingers. Four different times in different ways to get the message home. That the per past hurts and sorrows does not have to define how you love and serve the people around you and how you pray to God and how you rely upon Him. It doesn't. And Peter knows that as you start walking in that, life becomes a victorious song of all praise to Jesus forever and ever and ever. All praise through Him and to Him. May He be all glorious. May His name be the name that is on my lips. May He be the one that people see. May His life live through me that others may see and know that our God is good. Forever and ever. Amen. Your life then becomes a song of praise and rejoicing to God. Who doesn't want that as a believer? For their life to be worship. And that can be yours. And it can be yours in abundance. Not just little bits, but abundance. But that takes you from dwelling upon the woe is me to the dwelling upon greater is he. Greater is he. And when you make that turn, I know that your life will change. I had so much more people who are giving towards one another and super liberal in our forgiving of one another. But we need your help, Father. It's hard to do. So give us that strength today and throughout this week to follow your will as Peter explained it. And may you receive the glory. May we be vessels of worship that your name might be proclaimed forever and ever and ever. And all of God's people said, Amen. So,
until next week, remind yourself of what Peter says about what our attitude can be in moments of desperate crying that this world is unfair to us. Look to Scripture. Look to what Peter says and put it into practice because I know that that is God's will for you. So until next week, God bless and keep on loving. Bye.